Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Good morning. It's good to be with you on this Veterans Day. I had the honor and privilege to serve in the U.S. Air Force. Some don't believe the Air Force is the real military because we don't spend a lot of time in, in tents and out in the mud and stuff. But hey, it, was, it wasn't always the Hilton, folks. Sometimes it was the Holiday Inn. Just want you to know it wasn't that easy. I still have flashbacks from Nam, and I, I wasn't even there, so I'm not even sure what that's about. But if you want to follow along with the message, after that comment, you may not want to follow along with the message. But in case you do, there's uh, some notes in your bulletin. Looks just like this. We'll provide those fill-ins as we go along. Also on the back, it tells you how to use the Uversion Bible and other things if you want to uh, use your mobile device instead of the uh, hard copy. <clears throat> it's great to be with you. And we're going to bow in prayer and just uh, commit this time to the Lord. Father, what, what an honor uh, to be with your people. And Lord, thanks for this time we just had to pour out our hearts before you. Lord, you tell us you are a refuge to us, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we shall not fear. And Lord, because you are with us, no matter what's going on around us, we have stability, we have confidence. You are, Lord, our inner life from and you give us life from our inmost being to express through us and outward through us. And Lord, as we look to your word, and I seek to communicate clearly and confidently, boldly from your spirit, what you have to say here, God. I just pray for the freedom to do that. And all of us, God, be drawn closer to you and to one another. Pray for the grace and the faith and the courage to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, with the uh, advent of the internet and all the social media that's going on, it becomes increasingly more difficult uh, to teach and preach, you know, you know real-life illustrations, personal illustrations, because, you know, there's a concern that they're going to know you're talking about them, right? I've lived in several other places, and it wasn't, wasn't a problem because I would just talk about somewhere else I lived. I wouldn't mention any people in the, in the current setting, but nowadays, if somebody's watching you know, the YouTube Live, the services are recorded. You know, somebody posts something, uh, they, they might, re, you know, they might discover what I said about them. And a lot, a lot of the ministry I do is, is confidential. So, uh, you know, I've got to be, got to be careful. Um, so because of that, when I use, you know, illustrations, I'm going to speak generically. And uh, I'll change the names to protect the innocent and, and the guilty. Well, so that they, they won't be too... In embarrassed. Uh, with that said, I want to start with an illustration. During the uh, early 1990s, while in seminary in South Carolina, I worked at an airport there, and uh, I learned to fuel in the Air Force, and um, <clears throat> you know, it wasn't, wasn't a lot of fun, but I worked a, a weekend shift, and everything was going great. I got along fine with the other guys, but then uh, the, we, needed, we needed a crew chief, and the line manager asked me to serve, and I said, what the heck? It wasn't much more money, but anything helped, so I took it. Well, all of a sudden, everything shifted. These guys that had been my friends, co-workers, now all of a sudden, they seemed to have an attitude towards me. And because I had to enforce some of the company rules, which were usually more slack, you know, on the weekends, I'm the bad guy. And it, you know, it really bothered me, and I could tell, you know, under the surface something was up, and they weren't treating me the same. But I, I tried to roll with it until one Saturday morning we had... Uh, Two, two aircraft coming, about mid-sized aircraft coming in for fueling, 
And there's three of us working that shift, and they, they let me fuel both of these aircraft by myself. No big deal, I mean, for me to do it, but they were sitting in the line shack watching for about a half an hour while I fueled these two aircraft. And as I'm finishing up, a small aircraft comes in, like a Cessna 172 or something, and they both run out there and hop on it. And, you know, the two of them are fueling one aircraft while I just fueled two by myself. And that just really pushed me too far, or at least it felt like it. So as I'm heading back into the line shack, I'm, I'm just teaming, you know, and I, I'm, you will believe it or not, even as I'm doing this, I'm, I'm just, you know, feel this anger welling up in me. I, I even have a, a verse comes to my mind about forgiveness, but I, I, you know, I didn't know what to do with that. And I, you know, I rationalized and glossed over it. I went into line shack. I'm not a violent person, but, and it, it just amazed me. I went in there and I said something like, you know, what are you clowns doing? And I remember kicking a trash can over and, you know, I, I, you know, people in those environments sometimes use profanity and other things. I, I've always been amazed. I didn't use profanity. But if you call somebody a clown, a turkey, or a bozo, it's like you, you know, you've insulted their family heritage forever. Now, you can, they'll, they'll, you know, there's all kinds of other words flying around that people will say to one another, but don't call them a clown, don't call them a bozo, don't call them a turkey. I found out people seem to be more offended by those words than anything else. Go figure, right? So one of the guys storms out of there. The other guy starts arguing with me, and it all kind of broke down. And, you know, there's a saying, when you drop a bomb, now you have pieces, right? So it didn't go well. I felt bad about it. By the end of the shift, I apologized to both of them. One was an older guy, and he was really, he was, oh, I don't know if I can forgive you. And he was really giving me a hard time. And I, said, I got a little emotional. I said, hey, man, you know, I'm sorry. You know, that's all I can do. I confess. So it, it was tough. You know, how does it feel? How does it feel when others wrong you and yet God tells you to be the one to forgive? Does that, does that seem fair to you? <clears throat> From my perspective, it was reasonable for me to be frustrated. You know, it was reasonable for me to express my anger. You know, why should I be the one to forgive them when they were the ones that wronged me? How about you? You know, when emotions and anger and you know, that pain starts welling up to the surface. How do you deal with it? What do you, what do, you do with that? Do you just express it and, and allow those words and that anger to, you know, take control over you and drive your behavior? Do you stuff it down and, you know, try not to express it? Many psychologists believe that depression is anger turned inward. Some of the, you know, psychosomatic illnesses are often related to emotions that are just being stuffed down. They may not come out here, but guess what? They're going to start appearing in here. How do you deal with your anger? Do you have a better way? Or maybe you live on a different planet and you don't deal with any anger at all. I'm really happy for you. Praise the Lord. Anger is a powerful emotion. It can control us or it can motivate us. It can motivate us to try to understand what is the underlying issue below the anger. What, what is a way to find revol, resolution? What is a way to get back to a place of contentment when anger is stirred up? We know in Scripture, anger itself is not a sin. It's what we do with it, you know? Jesus knew how to channel his anger in productive ways when he, 
would argue with the Pharisees in a way that he uncovered hypocrisy and lies. He channeled his anger in the temple when he drove the money changers out. Some people say, oh, no, he lost his school. No, no, he channeled his anger. Prophecy said he was zealous for his father's house. He channeled his anger. He didn't hurt anybody, but he, he made it very clear that what they were doing in the house of God was unacceptable. There are times for anger to be expressed and channeled. But generally speaking, we want to deal with it and find a more peaceful resolution. Do this to kind of understand what's going on. I'm going to use an illustration this morning. I'm calling the relational balloons. We're going to have this up on. There it is. The relational balloons. Here we see the interactions between this is you, this is others, right? <clears throat> These are the interactions going back, back and forth, okay? And one of the things we know from, you know, human psychology and interactions, uh, just because somebody intends something, you know, but they communicate to me, it doesn't always impact me in the same way. What we say kind of goes through my filter and then how it impacts the other person, it enters in through their filter. So there's, you know, even things that are not meant to be offensive can, can be offensive to one another. And, uh, you know, recognizing that and giving each other the benefit of the doubt and trying to resolve that, you know, it can be helpful to, to do that. But this is, this is pretty typical. Um, you know, that, you know, if you get, you know, a lot of stuff coming at you, and the reason we use a balloon is because we only have, you know, so much capacity. You know, our emotions can only handle so much before, you know, this balloon, you keep dumping and dumping and filling it up. What's going to eventually happen? It's, it's either going to pop, explode, or it's going to start leaking out. So that's why we use the emotions to recognize it. And anger itself is a, we call a secondary emotion. Um, anger is like the top of an iceberg, right? And underneath the waterline, there's a lot more going on. And typically, there's like, there's all kinds of subcategories, but there's about five maybe major categories that are underlying between anger. It's uh, typically you've been hurt, typically you, you're, you're fearful, or, or typically, uh, let's see, there's, there's another F, frustrated. You're, you're feeling frustrated, or that you've suffered loss, maybe the loss of possession, maybe loss of an animal, maybe loss of a job, or maybe another person in your life. Loss can be a uh, source of underlying anger. And then disappointment. How many of you have ever been disappointed with another person? That, that can stir emotions that will lead, lead to anger. So there's a lot of stuff going on underneath the surface. And that's why we you know, recognize the balloon. We only have so much capacity to deal with all this stuff. And it would seem reasonable if people are treating me poorly, right? If I'm getting hit and people are wronging me, that I should have the freedom, right? Just to, to ventilate that back out. You know, and you may have heard Pastor Randy say it, you know, uh, hurt people hurt people, right? If I keep taking hurt in and hurt and hurt, eventually that's all I got to give back and that's, that's gonna come out of me. So it seems reasonable that that, that should happen but, you know, but from a human perspective, it may be reasonable. 
But God does not condone, condone us just venting out whatever we're taking in in life. And we want to take a look at Hebrews 12, verse 15. It says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And this verse tells us that if we don't recognize anger and deal with the source, it will turn into bitterness. It will linger and start to build and start to grow. In Celebrate Recovery, we have a saying that, you know, bitterness is drinking poison, right? Drinking poison, thinking I'm hurting the other person. But who's actually being hurt? I am. I'm the one dealing with the miserable feelings. So I'm putting, actually putting a greater burden upon myself. I'm hurting myself even more by letting the bitterness grow. Pastor and author uh, Dr. Warren Wiersbe said he knew a man who kept a logbook of every time somebody wronged him. He wrote it down, and he actually kept a logbook of all the wrongs people were committed against him. Dr. Wiersbe said that this man was the most miserable individual he had ever met. No wonder why. He just let it build up, and he reviewed it. He, he stewed over it. He let it grow, and he was miserable. The Bible tells us to deal with the bitterness before it grows. We need to recognize that unforgiveness is actually a form of self-righteousness. Have you ever thought about that? You know, that person really did something bad. Oh, I'd never drive that way. I may speed a little bit, but I'm not going to drive the way that guy did. Oh, man, what they did to me, oh, they deserve to be punished. I'm not that bad. Heck, what do I, need even, what do I even need a Savior for? I'm better than most people I know. That's self-righteousness. That's not God's righteousness. That's my righteousness. We justify ourselves. We play a comparison game rather than trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, when we do this, it says, when we compare ourselves by ourselves, we are without understanding. It's all human and physical logic and rationale. We totally leave God out of the picture. It's a false standard, a false logic, and it's not good reasoning. So God wants to take us. He wants us to go beyond human reasoning and this comparison game. He wants to take us to a whole new level, and that is the spiritual level. Because forgiving others may not seem fair, right? It may not seem fair, but it actually sets you free. Do you believe that? Forgiving somebody else may not seem fair, but it sets you free. I'd like to tell you a story about a, a real gentleman. This is his real name, Gary Danielson. Everybody recognize the name? He broadcasts now college football. Uh, Gary came to our men's group when I was living in Florida. He came to our church men's group and, and spoke to us. You know, I don't know exactly where he's at spiritually, but from what he, the story he shared, it was, it was quite interesting. And uh, Gary, he played for the uh, Detroit Lions mostly, played some for the Cleveland Browns back in the 70s and the 80s, and he, he's probably considered an average quarterback. He had one great game where he, uh, he threw five touchdowns uh, in one game, and it, it set a, I think it's still a tied record with the Lions. But other than that, he's probably a, an average quarterback. He had a lot of injuries, 
The Lions, you know, they weren't a you know, premier team when he was there. They're, they had more losing seasons than, than winning seasons, and Gary had a lot of rough games. And as you can imagine, how do fans respond when the team is losing over and over again? And, and who's usually the, the lightning rod for your, you know, your disappointment? The quarterback, right? So Gary said when he'd sit on the Lions bench, somewhere behind them, there was this obnoxious heckler game after game that was ranting, raving, mercilessly tearing Gary apart, criticizing him. And every time Gary looked back to try to get a fix on the guy, he'd stop. He never could find who, who it is. He couldn't tell who it is, right? This went on for several games, and Gary is really getting to Gary. Now, you know, you imagine professional athletes at that level, they probably develop a thick skin and know how to handle it. But, you know, he, he, wanted, he was curious. He wanted to know who was doing this. So he asked one of his teammates to stand at the end of the bench, right? And so Gary's just going to keep looking forward. And he says, you know, you watch for that guy, okay? You find out who that heckler is. And sometime, you know, just nonchalantly point him out to me. So as his teammate did it, got it Gary got a fix on the guy. And he just kind of, you know, tucked that image away in his mind. And, and he went on. You know, he had to play football, right? And keep, keep going. Well, sometime later, um, the Lions had a, uh, a charity golf outing in which the players were matched up with season ticket holders, right? Sounds like a great event, a lot of fun. Now, would you guess who Gary happened to get matched up with? The heckler, okay? Can you imagine when Gary sees this guy and that image and all the frustration and anger and the pain? But Gary said he took it in stride. He, he didn't even, you know, acknowledge it. He treated the guy with kindness and graceness. And so they, they got in the golf cart and started on the first nine, and Gary would say, hey, your voice sounds familiar. Familiar. Have we ever met before? Go, oh, no, I don't think so. No, no, no. So I'm just driving along, playing golf. The guy's getting a little nervous, you know, but going along later, he says, man, he says, you know, you sure we haven't crossed paths? Because, man, your voice is really something. And, you know, for the, almost the whole first nine holes, this guy is sweating. He's having a terrible game, and, you know, and finally they get back in the cart, they're heading to the back nine, and Gary says, come on, I've got to know you. I just, you know, your voice, it's like, you know, it's incredible. And the guy, he breaks, and he finally confesses to Gary and <laughs> tells him how sorry he is and what he did. And Gary says, I knew. He says, he, Gary revealed to him that he knew he was. They had, a, they had a great laugh, and they actually enjoyed playing the second nine together because forgiveness was part of the equation. Gary recognized, you know, that, uh, you know, getting angry at this guy, ventilating, whatever else he could do, you know, that wouldn't have resolved anything. It wouldn't be much fun. They both probably would have had a miserable game. But by having a little fun with it and forgiving the guy, they had a good time. Who was, who was freer? Who was more free during that golf game? The heckler or Gary? The heckler's sweating bullets. Yeah, he might have had some fun early on, but when it came time, Gary, you know, he who laughs last, last, laughs best. Gary had more fun. He was more free, right? Forgiveness does not always seem fair, but it sets us free. It's, it's a good thing. <clears throat> it begs the question, if other people are hurting me, what am I supposed to do with it? And I'm glad you asked that question because the Bible speaks to that matter. And we're going to have uh, Ephesians 4.31 on the screen here in a little bit. There it is. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander 
be put away from you along with all malice. Um, the verse says to be put away. Put away these things, let them be put away from you, but it does not say how. And for some reason, uh, English Bible translators have difficulty, difficulty capturing the nuance of this command. This, this is a command. It's not an option. It's, it's written in the, uh, what we call the uh, in, imperative. Uh, the, the mood is in the imperative. It's not just a suggestion or just a statement. It says you're to do this, you're to obey it. But it's, it's in, the difficult thing is, it's in the passive voice. So let's look at it in a new, new international version, the NIV. Let's see if we can get that up there. Here it is, NIV. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, and brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, if you read that, it sounds like you and I are the ones doing the action, right? We're pushing these things away. Get rid of these things, right? That, that's what it says. But it's actually, that's a bad translation. Because it's in the passive voice, it means that the action is actually being done to us rather than us doing the action. So I want to, I want to show you one more translation in the, uh, in the passive voice that, may, that gets us across better. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. Did you get that? Let it be removed from you. Is that different than pushing it away? I gotta push your stuff away. No, that's not what it says. It says, let it be removed for you. That's, you know, that's what God tells us. You know, God has a sense of humor in that he commands us to have something done to us. How do I do that? You know, the, the translation, I, I like it because it uses the word remove, which, you know, forgiveness, that's what forgiveness means. The, liter, remove, the literal meaning of forgiveness means to remove and, and or send away. That's what it means. God just doesn't stop being mad at us. As Pastor Randy said last week, if you were here, he says, God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't pretend like it didn't happen. He removes it. He takes it away. Psalm 86.5 says the Lord is good. He's ready and even eager to forgive. And he abounds in love and kindness to everyone who calls upon his name. It was a thrill for me to see the number of people that came forward for prayer earlier because God says he abounds in love and kindness when we call upon his name. Praise the Lord. That's a good thing, I would think, wouldn't you? We call upon the Lord, and he abounds in loving kindness toward us. He removes the sin if we confess it to him. God does the same thing with bitterness and anger and rage and all these things when we're feeling affected by others. And this type of forgiveness is illustrated when we include God in the relational balloon. So this next image we're going to have up here, this is the relational balloon that includes God in the equation. In fact, it puts Jesus Christ right in the middle between you and others, right? We know that Jesus Christ, though he was in heaven, right, with the Father, he came to earth, spent some time with us here, about 33 years. He died on the cross for our sins, and then he took those crosses. I believe, I believe when he died, he actually literally took that sin down to hell with him to be put away. It's no longer here. It's gone, right? Past, present, future. A few days later, he rose up, 
spent some more time with us over a period of about, you know, 40 days. He revealed himself numerous occasions, hundreds of people, and then he went back to heaven to serve as our advocate and our intercessory and to allow us now to connect with God. That's a good thing. So there's no more need for us to hold on. You know, when people give us the the hurt and the pain and the stuff, and it starts building up on us. We do not have to hold on to it. We don't have to let it fill our relational balloon until we explode. God has provided the means for us to let go of it, to release it. The series on, on forgiveness is called release, and that's the perfect word. God says if we will release those things to him, he removes them. You know, isn't that powerful? If we will let go, he will take it away. But, it, 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 but we, we participate. He doesn't rip it out of our fingers, right? We have to let go. You may remember uh, Revelation 3.20. It says, Jesus stands at the door and knocks, right? He knocks on the door. He calls us to open the door to cooperate with him. It doesn't say he knocks the door down, right? He knocks on the door. God respects our individual you know, autonomy. He calls us to cooperate him. He's not going to tear things out of our fingers if we won't let go of them. But if we do, he will take them away. Because Jesus Christ has done for us, we have the means, folks. We have the means to let go of the anger, the pain, and the hurt. It may be, it may be something more. <clears throat> But if, like I say, if, if Jesus took this stuff down to hell for us, and I guess it's okay to use hell if I'm talking about it, right? It's a you know, place that, you know. I'm sure somebody in hell is probably offended with me right now for saying that. But, uh, you know, hey, what do you do, you know? But it's like gravity, right? If, it's, if the sin's already been removed and down there, right? It may be something little, right? But if I release it, where does it go? Maybe something a, a little bigger, Right? But if I release it, where does it go? It may be something huge, something that's really tearing me up. But if I release it, where does it go? Listen for my panic alarm out in the parking lot. I think I'm okay. All right. But you get the idea. He's already taken away, so why do we want to hold on to it? Let go. Let go of it. It's not just a good idea. It's his command. He says, let go of it, and he will remove it. But forgiveness, proper forgiveness goes beyond just releasing the bad. We're also called to respond with goodness. We go on to the next verse, verse Ephesians 4, uh, 4.32. It says, now it goes, if we get rid of the bad, it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Not only get rid of the bad, it says to give the good, right? How do I do that? Many of us are probably familiar with the saying, uh, to err is human, to forgive is divine. It was, it was written by uh, Alexander Pope. He was an English poet in the 17th century, 17th and 18th century, I believe. Uh, brilliant, brilliant man. You may, you may not know, he was a Catholic in a prominent uh, Protestant culture, so he was a little bit ostracized for that. And at age 12, he had something called Pott's disease, a type of tuberculosis that attacked his spine. 
that caused him to be a hunchback, caused multiple other maladies and symptoms. He never grew more than four foot six inches tall and was pretty much an outcast from society. You say, what a miserable life. But you know what? God blessed him with a brilliant mind. God blessed him with the gift of language. He was a brilliant translator. And God gave him a tender heart. You think he knew a little bit about hurt and forgiven people? I, I, I would imagine. Yeah. He realized, and you may know this by now, that human beings, we have this propensity to hurt one another. And a lot of it, like I say, is done out of self, self-righteousness. I don't feel good about myself, so rather than dealing with it, I look for somebody I consider less to me, and I put that bad feelings onto them. To err is human, to forgive is divine, and there's truth to this. I do not believe we can forgive as God would have us without receiving his divine goodness. God is a source of all goodness. We must receive it to him before I can respond, right, and give it to others. Look on the chart. If we go back to the the chart here. Okay, so we're getting rid of the bad. That's good, right? But, we, but now, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, right? I need to receive the good things of God, okay? It doesn't tell me just to be neutral toward others. It says to be kind, compassionate, right? And I'm to extend God's forgiveness to others. How can I do that unless I receive it, right? I must receive the good things of God if I'm to give it out to others. Ephesians 5, 18, in the, next, in the next chapter, it says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It's a command, imperative. It's in the present tense, meaning ongoing. Do you think it's in the active voice? Does anyone want to take a stab at it? No, it's not active. It's actually kind of a, a, a passive middle. In other words, again, I cannot fill myself with the Spirit of God. But guess what? I can ask for it. Jesus said in Luke 11, if you, being less than perfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things? Or actually it says, literally it says, give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him. Where does the goodness of God come from? It's the Holy Spirit imparting it to us. So as we get rid of that stuff that's bad, we now free ourselves to receive what is good. We make room for the good things, right? And so take a look at this. Do not get drunk with wine. That is dissipation, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. And so here's, here's the application, right? Rather than reacting, right? Reacting to the hurt and pain we feel when we're treated. The reaction is usually our first impulse, right? Rather than just reacting, we want to release the things that are not of God receive the things that are of God, and then respond with the goodness of God. And that, you know, that takes some intentionality. My feelings may not be there, but by faith, God, God, take this stuff away from me. I don't want it. Lord, I need your goodness, Lord. And now give me your forgiveness for this person, right? My forgiveness only goes so far, but God's forgiveness is infinite, right? So give me your forgiveness to this person. Folks, when I pray like that, Life is so much better. I feel so much more freed up. I can ask my wife sometimes, if I'm really steamed up, I say, I'm going for a walk. And sometimes I take the dog with me, right? And she goes, uh-oh, she knows something's up. 
Fortunately, I don't do that very <laughs> a lot. But I, I just walk. I walk. I pray. I talk. Sometimes I, I go around in circles for, for quite a while. But I believe if I keep turning it over, I really mean business, God will take that stuff from me, right? Because sooner or later, all relationships are going to break down or they're going to be less than God attends for them if forgiveness is not part of the equation. I want to give you one illustration. I, I changed the, the words here. Uh, before entering in full-time ministry, I worked with the Department of Mental Health in a, in a specialized program in which we took senior citizens out of these psychiatric hospitals. A lot of them were being shut down. It's an artificial environment. And so they wanted to see if we could set them up in their own apartments and provide on, you know, on what you say, site services, right? And it was a great program. I actually enjoyed working there. <clears throat> but anyway, <clears throat> we had three goals. Keep them, out of, keep them from going back to the psychiatric hospital because it's very expensive and it's artificial. Secondly, we wanted to help them reach their highest level of functioning, find out what they could do and help them engage in it. And thirdly, we wanted to increase their support system, which meant often for me as a case manager, it meant that I contacted family members and tried to get them re-engaged because a lot of the relationships had, had gone sour over, over time, right? <clears throat> I had this one client called, I'm going to call him Simon, <clears throat> and he had not had any contact with his family for over 10 years. And we only had one contact, a sister, Sally, um, who wanted nothing to do with him, right? So it was a real tough situation. Another case manager had him before, and she'd made some contact with Sally. Absolutely not want nothing to do with Simon. You know, stay away. But, you know, we didn't want to give up, so I started making calls, and Finally, Sally agreed uh, for Raymond, oh, he almost blew it, for Simon to come, uh, to come, right? But we weren't, we weren't going to, she didn't want him at her house. She, she said we can come to the senior center where the mother spent time. So that's what we did, neutral site, took Simon there. It was a real beautiful occasion, and they interact. Now, Simon was a big guy. He was probably about six, two, or three, but he, he was older and frail, and I think I think Sally realized, whatever he had done in the past, I don't know, it wasn't my business, but I think she realized he wasn't a threat anymore, and she let you know, him make visits occasionally, never at the house, just at the senior citizen, and I, I'd taken him up there a couple more times, and I, before we went, he said, Tom, can we get a tape recorder? Uh, I want you to record my mother's voice. Simon wasn't much of a talker, but his, his mother had actually lived an interesting life, and he wanted me to try to you know, interview her and ask her questions and just stir up the old memories. So I did. We had a little, you know, cassette player and we sat across the table and I would ask his mother questions about the old days and Simon was just eating it up. And, you know, we, we recorded two or three of these tapes and, and then one day I got the call that uh, Simon's mother had died and I was the one that had to break the news to him. Lots of fun. He took it well um, and initially Sally was resistant about him coming for the funeral. I couldn't believe it. I said, wait a minute. You know, and I said, and I said we, he's got to go. And, you know, she worked through it, and we finally uh, we were able to go. And I took, I took Simon to the funeral home uh, to first do the viewing before uh, I turned him over to the family for the weekend. And as we got into the parking lot, there was a young man probably in his 20s or 30s across the parking lot. He saw Simon. He came running across the parking lot, embraced him, started crying on his shoulders. And it turned out that he was a nephew that loved Simon, had no idea where he was at, had not had any contact. He had actually helped raise this young man. It was very powerful. After his mother died, I would occasionally go back to 
visit Simon in his apartment, folks. And he'd be sitting there. You know what he was often doing when I came to his apartment? He's at the dinette table with that little cassette recorder, listening to his mother's voice. What do you think of that? If Sally hadn't forgiven him and allowed some reconciliation to take place, that would not have been possible. Because there was reconciliation, because there was forgiveness in the equation, this man got reunited with his family. He got to say goodbye to his mother before she died. And he got the comfort of hearing her voice anytime he wanted to. Is it worth it? And one of the reasons I tell you that story because I was not in church ministry. I was in Department of Mental Health, a government agency, folks. This isn't just for church. This is every day in the workplace, the school, the neighborhood, in the family. This is what God has called us to do. Jesus came to earth to reconcile the earth to himself. And then he says, now we are to be in the ministry of reconciliation. Most of us know, <clears throat> I'm guessing, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they are what? A new creature. The old things are gone. New things are coming. Wonderful. Hurrah. How many of us know the verse after that? 2 Corinthians 5.18. I'm not here to lay a guilt trip on you. Just, get, get, just to get you thinking outside the box, let's say, okay? It says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us through himself through the ministry of reconciliation. Wonderful. If we become a new creature in Jesus Christ, it says, he has given us now the ministry of reconciliation. If my salvation goes no further than, hurrah, I got Jesus, I'm going to heaven, and never has impact around me, I'm missing the boat, folks. I'm missing out for the reason I'm reconciled to Jesus Christ. Because he says, now I and you are ambassadors. We are now ministers of reconciliation to the people he loves. You believe everyone around you, everyone on this planet, God loves them as much as he loves you. Do you believe that? Do you think he wants them to know his salvation and goodness and love and the forgiveness that's available in Jesus Christ? I think his word's pretty clear on that. Think about it. What difference it will make when forgiveness is practiced in our homes, in the school, the workplace, and even the church, right? We can do it here, too. Forgiveness, it doesn't seem fair, yet it sets us free. Before you leave today, if you like, the ushers at the doors are going to have our release of bitterness prayer card. Promise prayer card is available to you. Uh, you can, and we also have them down front in our prayer racks if you stay for, for prayer. So you please feel free to take one of those up. On the back of it, it has the scripture, then it has a prayer how to practice that passive voice. How to, how to pray it accurately, the way that God has revealed it. I'll be out in the lobby to say hello with some friends out there if you want to stop by. If you want to know more about the Christian faith and what's going on at Gateway, head straight out that door to our next steps area. If you want to come back down for prayer, our prayer partner is going to be back down here. The earlier prayer was just a warm-up, folks. They're going to be back down. <clears throat> so come on back down for prayer. And why don't we take a moment to, to pray right now as we close. Father God, thanks for loving us. Uh, we cannot even describe where we would be if you didn't love us and if Jesus didn't come to this earth to die for our sins, God, that we could know your love and your salvation, your goodness. And Father, we pray, Lord, to receive all the good you have for us and with your help to release any of the junk, Lord, 
you don't want us to hold on to. With your help, Lord, we can let go of it. And please, Lord, help us. Help us to cooperate with you. And Father, we just acknowledge that uh, we, we, in human strength, we cannot live. You know, we cannot forgive and love people the way you have us on our own. We need you, God. We need your spirit to fill us, empower us. Give us your love, your forgiveness to others, God, that we can be that light and extension and draw folks to you. And Lord, uh, we thank you. It's a great honor to participate in what you're doing. And may it be done through Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Happy Veterans Day. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.